I think of her like my best friend who doubles as like a security guard, if that makes sense. She hangs out, she gets treats, we play. But then there's times where she knows she has to work um, and she works and she knows that her job is to protect me, protect my family. And she loves to do it. She's happy to do it. Um, And, you know, like I said, most of the time we're just playing, we're having fun. You know, we go out, play ball, she'll play catch. She has a good time. But then there's times like, let's say um, we go to the park, like me and my wife and my daughter go to the park. Um, She'll sit and she will watch my daughter and my wife, or she'll watch me with my daughter, or she'll just, you know, be looking around. She's like, okay, is anybody sus? And then she'll let me know if there is. Welcome to How I Embraced the Suck, a podcast where you get to hear from veterans what life in the military is really like. I am your host, Walt. And before we start, you should know that I do not censor the show in any way. You have been warned. Yeah, I always find that starting the show is kind of, it's not awkward, but it's like, I'll get a conversation going and then I'll be like real quick in the middle of like a conversation. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hit record. Just keep talking. And then just so they know, because I don't want them to feel like blindsided by like the actual recording. So, right. Yeah. No, that, that's a good point because yeah, because I usually am like, I'm going to hit record and then we're going to initiate a conversation and it's awkward it's like wow now we're working into it but yeah podcasting's hard dude there, it really there's a, it's it's easy but it's hard well i remember i remember when i first started it it was like okay it sounds easy to just sit there and have a conversation with somebody but at least when i'm like recording with like a guest on my show i'm, I'm constantly thinking i'm like okay is this actually entertaining to listen to are we just kind of rambling? Are we on topic? Is this like a meaningful conversation or is it just kind of fill where it's, it's really, I don't know. There's a lot more that goes into it. I think than people really realize that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the game go. Um, anybody can learn how, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of strategy. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> I just, I played it as a kid. And then just recently I was playing with a friend's, uh, seven-year-old maybe and he was smoking me i mean i was just like i don't even know how to play this game <laughs> stupid game but uh, but yeah I, i'm uh this show is a little different in that um i don't give a lot of thought to the listener <laughs> i just enjoy talking <laughs> well you got to be selfish about it too that's part of why that's part of why i do it i get to talk with people that because it's weird you know sure. like when you reach out to people and you're like Hey, like you're someone I'm genuinely interested in. Do you want to just like hop on a phone call for like two hours? That's like weird. But if you're like, hey, you want to do a podcast for two hours? That's like, oh, okay, you know. Right, that's acceptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a. I don't know why, but it's a really, it's a selfish endeavor that people enjoy. So, right. That's good. I, I like that. That's a good way to put it. 
I've, I've really enjoyed it for sure. Learned a lot and, and, uh, had fun for sure. <laughs> some of them, it. dude, it, it's, I really enjoy the variety too. Like some of them are just a hoot. Some of them are kind of dark and some of them are heavy and it's just like, Hey, everybody's got a different experience and you're, you're getting the gamut of it. And that's kind of what I was hoping for. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking to vets and some people view the military in a really positive light or fondly. Some people have a really, really negative energy towards it. Some people, you know, did stuff that they're really proud of that other people who did the same thing aren't proud of. So you kind of really get the, um, you get the bittersweetness of everything and you get the perspective of every individual. And I think everybody's experience is a little different. So it's cool when you can hear those things because different people relate to different things. You hear somebody that enjoyed some things that you enjoyed or some people that didn't enjoy some things that you enjoyed. So kind of getting that perspective is really fun and cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just recently, um, especially for, let me, let me restart, especially for civilians. Often they're like, well, why? Cause when I mentioned, you know, a lot of guys say, no, I ask them to come on and they're like, no, I don't really want to talk about it. And I'm like, well, that's fine. You know, no, no pressure at all. But a lot of civilians are like, well, why wouldn't someone want to talk about it? And I'm like, well, look, it's as if I had a podcast on marriage and I said, Hey, uh, how do you like to tell me about your honeymoon? You know, and people are like, no, not really. Or, you know, it was a fantastic time, but I'm not going to tell you about it. Or, um, why don't you tell me about your breakup? Like in detail, go into all the details of it. And they're like, no, I'm, I don't, I don't, I want to forget about that. So it's kind of both ends of the spectrum. When someone doesn't want to come on, I'm like, I, I totally understand, dude. I'm blown away when someone doesn't want to come on. Yeah, that's a really, that's a good way to put it because you're asking, it's like a really intimate part of somebody's life. Um, you know, and some people can go through their military experience where it's like not an intimate part of their life. It's just kind of like a part of it. But then there's you know, mm. some folks where it's like it becomes, and you see it a lot with vets when they get out, like their entire personality is a military. And, you know, I can think that's kind of cringe, but you know, it's, that's just me. I'm a really judgmental person and it might not actually be cringe. I'm just a really, I'm a judgmental dickhead. Um, but you know, when it is, I understand what it's like to have something that you do be who you are and to have that taken away or sure. to have that, you know, even if it's not necessarily taken away, but you voluntarily left that part behind. It's really hard to find something else. So I understand it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And a lot of people do find identity in the unit. I mean, and that's not unique to the military. It, you know, people find identity in a sports team that they support or whatever. So, um, but I, it's, I think it's maybe a little, um, a little higher definition in the military because of the amount of, um, uh, let's say respect that the civilian populace gives just because you're in the military. Um, I don't know, maybe not. Anyway, no, I, I, no, I, I agree. I mean, I put more emphasis now in my, um, sports fan personality. I love sports, but when it, when it comes to a job like the military, where it literally is your life, because it's not like a, 
it's not like a nine to five where you aren't that thing outside of those hours in the military you're a soldier 24 7 so even when you're not in uniform you're still held accountable to ucmj um and it makes you kind of adopt this type of lifestyle and it's almost it's not like a cult mentality but it's like i need to be this way all the time even when i'm not in uniform and at work and you know there's times also Hmm. where you're working at like where you are in work mode for like a month straight or if you go on like a longer deployment for nine months you are working straight 24 hours every single day so you kind of have to adopt that mindset in order to be successful that hey this isn't just a job this is my life and i know people definitely struggle with after having to make that adjustment in their life to suddenly not have that so I, I understand hmm. when, when, when things like that happen and I understand when people, you know, they get out and they're still like, you know, I'm a staff sergeant. I did all these things like this is like, I get it. I think it's cringy, but I, I, I get it. I really do. Right. Right. <laughs> I just, I just recently saw a, uh, a, in a political, uh, flyer or not a flyer, but like a government produced, uh, here's all your candidates kind of thing. And, uh, and the dude said, in his thing, he was like, I was a, I was a high, high ranking non-commissioned officer and, uh, directed several, several officers above me while working directly for the Colonel <laughs> and, and to civilians like, Whoa, that's awesome. And you're like, dude, you need to calm down. Like, that doesn't mean anything in the civilian world. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, that's tough for a lot of people to handle too. When you get out and you were like a relevant, important person in terms of the military, but a lot of that shit doesn't mean fuck all when you get out and they think it should, but it really like, I was talking with, um, the owner of Justin Lee or the the owner of core performance, Justin Lee about hiring Mm. veterans. And some of them think like, I led multiple combat and they have like the same general resume that every other, you know, soldier has and they think they're, they're unique. And then they're like, I'm worth a hundred thousand dollars a year because I did all of these things that actually don't bring value to your company. But because I did these things, I I should be paid this much. And it's like, no, like, sure. Like I can appreciate what you did in the military. And I'm sure that you were very important and very good at your job in the military, but leading combat deployments doesn't, like that's not applicable to like an executive sales position, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> like it, it's not, it's not applicable. Um, and people have a hard time um, getting those uh, skills outside that, that are marketable, those marketable skills that it takes to succeed in civilian world. And that just adds to that whole identity crisis that I think a lot of veterans face once they get out of the army or just military in general. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I should, uh, excuse me for the listener. I should tell him that, uh, today we have Mitch with us who is former military and is now, uh, uh, he chose to play soccer instead of rugby. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I coach soccer. I don't play anymore. <laughs> or coach. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, what got you into interested in joining the military? What was your motivation? Um, you know, 
I would love to say it was like pride and country. I mean, I guess that was kind of like part of it. But what really happened was I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life in high school. And I thought I was going to be in the NFL. Um, mm. I was like five foot 10 and 110 pounds soaking wet, but I was really quick. I went to this football camp in Vermont. It was like an open, open tryout in like, I think it was my junior year, maybe my senior year. No, it was my junior year, I think. And I tore my hamstring, or not my hamstring. It was my fucking, was it my quad? I don't know. I got hurt at the camp. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I also was like, man, like I can run really fast, but I was 110 pounds. And then I saw people that were like 200 pounds running faster than me. And it was like, oh, fuck, like I'm not going to make the NFL. Right. <laughs> so I kind of didn't really know what to do going into my senior year. And I had a buddy who I played sports with growing up, really good friend of mine. He was like, hey, I'm talking to this army recruiter. Let's go be Delta Force together. Like you can go and like, um, it was like the buddy program where you can go to basic with a friend and then you're like guaranteed to like go to the same duty station. I don't know about the same. Mm. Um, Sure. And I was like, yeah, that's dope. What's your recruiter's name? It gives me the recruiter contact information. I reached out to the recruiter and then I enlisted, but he didn't. <laughs> so like, yeah, so I enlisted, he didn't. And it wasn't for Delta Force. I wasn't, I didn't know what Delta Force was. I, I played Call of Duty. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be this super secret squirrel, badass Delta right, Force. Right, right. Um, two years later, he enlisted into the Air Force. <laughs> but um. <laughs> nice yeah that was the intent and you know i'm sure that like i was very prideful of my country and like oh yeah i'm gonna fight i'm gonna be the fucking sheepdog you know that type of attitude i was seven right um and then yeah i uh i enlisted and i ended up leaving he didn't and i was like dude i thought we were gonna do this together and he was like yeah sorry (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of how i ended up there hmm yeah that it's easy or it's real common um, to be like, yeah, I, you know, I rah, rah, save the country and everything. But uh, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Sometimes, sometimes I just zone out and I don't know what's up, but uh, I'm, I'm, no I'm here. I'm here and ready to rumble. No problem. Man. Um, yeah. What, um, yeah, dumb. It's it's like it seems like the ones I look forward to the most. I uh, I stutter and stall the worst, <laughs> and I'm, just, I'm not sure what the deal is. Don't worry about it, man. Yeah. Cool. I won't. Um. What? Yeah. What was kind of your um? Okay, so so you joined up. You you went to boot camp, etc. What was your aside from your buddy kind of ditching you? What was the recruitment experience like? Was it because, you know, a lot of people have, oh, well, he lied to me or, or whatever. Like, was your, did you know what you were going in for? Yeah, no, my recruiter didn't lie to me at all. Um, I, I'm actually, I feel like I'm one of the few who didn't have that experience where my recruiter had to like lie to me because I think he saw that I was just so like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, you don't have to lie to me. I came to you, said, I want to do this thing. Um, 
My recruiting experience was pretty simple. Uh, I just went through the process like everybody else, did some PT with some people. Uh, You you do like pre-PT, like before you go, sometimes it's just you show up like once or twice a week and they put you through some basic shit. Maybe you get like a like a PT uniform or something. I don't know. Mm, Sure. I don't remember. But no, my recruiting experience was pretty genuine. He didn't lie to me at all. I met Santana, uh, you know, the the singer, the artist Santana. The oh, yeah. Art. Yeah, I met him when uh, they were putting me in a hotel. Uh, Santana was performing and my recruiter was like, holy shit, that's Santana. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit, that's Santana. So that's like a cool thing that happened in my recruiting experience, I guess. But no, he didn't have to convince me of anything. It was just, yeah, I'm going to, I'm here to do this thing. I'll do this thing. I was at MEPS and I scored uh, pretty high on my uh, GT score and they were like, Hey, do you want to see this board to like, you know, do, do these jobs? Here's all the jobs that you can do. And I'm like, Nope, I'm going to be a ranger. And they were like, no, seriously, like, look at this board. You can do like whatever you want. And I wanted to do ranger because I knew in order to get the Delta force, um, which I still, yeah. And which I still, I'm like, Oh yeah, they only recruit like SF and ranger. So I'm going to go be a ranger. And I got an option 40 contract that didn't work out. Um, I didn't make it through and um, I got sent to an airborne infantry unit, but my, my recruiting experience was really simple. Um, Genuine recruiter was nice. He was honest the whole time. He didn't have to lie to me or convince me of anything. So, Mm. so, so, yeah. So what's an option 40? Like um, that's a path to Ranger, I assume. But like, if you fail that, do you then have an open contract? Or are you already have something assigned? So option 40 with infantry. Um, so you go through infantry basic training. I don't know if it's changed now. Um, and mm. then you go through airborne school. And then after that, you go to RASP, um, which is Ranger Assessment Selection Program, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, yeah, didn't work out. I got sent to the 173rd Airborne Infantry. Um, so I'm still an Airborne Infantryman because okay. you go through, you know, basic, you go through um, like OSIT to be an infantryman. Then you go through Airborne School. So you have those qualifications in, the, in that job. And then if you don't make it through RASP, you just get sent to an Airborne uh, Infantry. I guess maybe sometimes you could be sent to a regular infantry unit. Um, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I know some of the different different uh of the uh not special forces but like the more elite units have different routes sometimes like if you if you enlist for example someone was telling me if you enlist to join the seals and you fail then open contract you could go literally anywhere so yeah um, that, that'd I, be a little more depressing i think <laughs> yeah i think that happens a lot with like uh, 18 x-ray contract which is like a special forces contract where like you go okay. through basic, maybe you, I don't, I actually don't know how that works. Maybe you go through basic because we, ha- we had some option um, 18 x-ray contracts and they went through and were infantrymen. Hmm. I don't know okay. if, yeah, I don't know if that happens with other MOSs where like you could be like a cook with an 18 x-ray. I don't know. I'm not too sure how that whole process works. I was never. So, yeah. So basically you were just climbing a ladder and then when you didn't go to the next rung, you just stayed at the one you were on. It wasn't yeah, like you were off on. Okay. Okay. Sure. Huh? Yeah. 
So you uh, you did deploy a couple times, correct? Um, yeah, the military will count like Ukraine as like a deployment um, and Estonia as a deployment because we were there for like three or four months. Um, if you ask anybody who was with those units, right. it wasn't really a deployment. And then I, I went to Afghanistan um, as an uplift um, soldier. Okay. What, what's uplift? I'm, I'm uh, dumb. Uplift is basically the ODA guys, so the Special Forces guys, the ones that are actually out doing stuff. Mm-hmm. You get sent to them to help them if they need any help. Um, sometimes they do, gotcha. sometimes they don't, uh, you kind of, it's, it's on them. It's basically like, Hey, here's this asset of soldiers to use on operations. If you need them, if you don't, don't worry about it, but they're there for you essentially. Oh, okay. Sure. Just to, just to, um, stiffen up their force or something. Yeah, essentially. Cause the ODA teams, I don't know exactly how, how big they are. I would think they were like 10 or 12 guys. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, not every operation can just be 10 or 12 guys. They need support by fire. They sure. need, you know, people, you know, maybe rounding people up with them. Um, maybe they just need people to help maintain their vehicles. It, essentially, we were just whatever they needed us to be. Sure. Huh. What, obviously, well, that yeah, that was your only, if that was your, um, from what you've heard, how would you compare that to other, deployments that people had with for different purposes like as far as like the tempo and and just the overall experience Does that makes honestly we we looked out um because when you deploy as an infantryman like i don't remember i you know i don't know exactly at what time uh, or like what year they stopped doing like actual um combat operations you know i'm sure there was some little stuff here and there but for the most part you know, when I deployed infantry units were getting deployed and they were like tower guard. Um, and it was like a miserable thing where you just rotate through pulling security on a, on a fob. But for Mm. us, we were were uplift on a NATO base. So every time that we went out and we did something, it was very deliberate because the ODA guys don't pull tower guard. The ODA guys don't just do patrols, go out there, get shot at and have a presence. It's very deliberate stuff. Um, and they get treated much better, <laughs> you know, obviously they're, they're green berets or they're, they're right. gonna, they, they had a, a brick pizza oven and shit, like their budgets are nicer. <laughs> um, and they deserve it. You know, those guys go through hell to get to the position that they're in. So, you know, sometimes we would do like support by fire. Um, sometimes, you know, there was like a larger operation. Um, yeah, I mean, it really just depended on what they needed, but um, I would say a majority of the time spent was like prepping vehicles um, and then just kind of going out in the vehicles with them. And then they would go do the, you know, ODA, special forces stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would pretty much just be security element or support by fire. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, that that makes sense because your, I guess, job satisfaction is very high. As like you're saying, as opposed to somebody that just like, what am I doing here? Yeah, <laughs> I, I it's do very. <laughs> yeah, like we weren't like any time, and uh, you know, I always say like CQB in air quotes. A- any CQB that I did, I wasn't like kicking in doors, like shooting motherfuckers. Like that was mostly them doing that. But sure. like if we did have to like enter a building, 
it was the lowest risk CQB that it could ever be. It was like, hey, this building's pretty much already clear. We're just taking this building right now to maybe set up, you know, a little a little control point or something. But sure. Yeah, it was never I'm never ever gonna claim like I was kicking in doors with the ODA guys and fucking smoking dudes because I wasn't. Right. I wasn't. It was very but it, it was still better than pulling tower guard and we were very fortunate to get that deployment and to get that experience we learned a ton from those guys when we weren't prepping for operations they were super generous with us and would um you know like pull us into because they had their own compound on the on the base pull us in there and they would like do training um for us Mm. they would demonstrate how to do cooler more advanced stuff that you just don't learn in uh general infantry stuff so it was it was a really it was probably the best deployment you could get at the time. And I'm very fortunate to have been a part of that. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense because I mean, if they're, if, if the same group of guys is working with your same group of guys all the time, it's in everybody's best interest to have, you know, better training and better just camaraderie and communication between each other. You know, it was, it was, it was great. We learned a ton from them and we were never, you know, there were, I mean, it's a deployment, and like sometimes you're like in dangerous situations, but you know, looking back on it and hearing, you know, if you were to ask me like a year or two after that deployment, I would have been like, fuck yeah, I was a badass. I was out there doing all this shit with the ODA guys. But upon reflecting on it and talking right. with people who deployed in like 2006, 2007, who actually like did shit, I look back on it and I'm like, man, like, I didn't do that much and it was like a really great experience. And I don't know how many people can say like their, that their deployment was like a great experience. So I feel very fortunate. Right. Right. Kind of all the best, the best parts of, uh, of an actual combat deployment and, and garrison duty. Yeah. (laughs) You got Um, the excitement without, without all the risk. Exactly. It was very, You know, in the situations that were like higher risk, even then, like I said, it wasn't like we were kicking in doors in the initial invasion, clearing buildings for hours and hours every day. It was like, hey, we need to enter this building. We've already pushed beyond this. It's already probably clear. So just, you know, go in, do stuff. And it was still intense as fuck. I was scared as shit doing it. So like, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, you know, hundred percent. I was still scared as fuck doing it. But like, um, no, it was like the lowest risk, highest. It was like the lowest risk, highest reward, like uh, deployment you could have ever had. Um, those now that was for us, the uplift guys, the ODA guys. I'm not speaking for them. They were on sure. the fucking. They were doing shit. They were engaging people far more regularly and far more closer areas and quarters and than we ever were. I mean, sometimes we would be with them in those situations, but we were never like it was always the um, the Afghans that would take point or they would take point, and we were just kind of like there along for the ride. I guess that's the best way to describe right. it. It was, sure. it was it was a really good experience. Yeah. Obviously, being in that kind of situation where everybody's scared and, and relying on each other more, there's more, there's like a tighter, tighter knit, like more camaraderie. When you came back from the deployment, did that persist in the unit, you think? Or was it just kind of like uh, in the moment? You know, it's weird. You, 
Some people, yes. Um, other people, no. Uh, some people, mm. you make, you know, friends for life with. Other people, you never talk to again. That's the thing about the military. Like, you could deploy, um, you know, essentially spend a year with people, do stuff with people. And then within the year after that, people are already hitting their two-year mark where they PCS and go elsewhere. Sure. So we'll just leave. And some people you'll reach out to, you know, a couple times a year. Some people you'll still talk to. But then there's, you know, a lot of times where you just never talk to that person again. Because, uh, hmm. you know, that's kind of the way the military, uh, you make really good friends for a couple of years and then you leave and you don't really talk to them. You talk to, you know, onesies and twosies here and there. But it just, it's just a norm, you know, you move mm -hmm. on. It's like, it's like moving schools. You know, if in high school you moved, uh, you know, like you were at a school for like three years and then you moved somewhere else, you're not going to constantly be talking to everybody from the old school. You're going to make new friends and you're going to make new friends groups. And then, you know, you might be sad when you have to leave, but then let's say you have to move again. Mm -hmm. you know, the first school that you move from, you're probably only going to talk to one or two people there maybe one or two from the former school and then you're moving on and making new friends at the new one. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Huh? Yeah. Because so much, not all of it, but so much of friendship is really, um, uh, based on the amount of time spent together. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I, there's some friends that I made for life where I know, even though I don't talk to them for like a year or two, I could call them up and, they'll take care of anything right. that I need them to, or we could have a conversation like it never ended, but that is, it's just something that you get used to, you know, you, you PCS, other people, PCS, people are always coming and going and uh, man, that's just how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, what about Yaweed? Or Jaweed? Jaweed. Jaweed. Yeah. yeah, that dude was a fucking legend. He was, um, so we were on, we were on a NATO base and it was a very nice base. Um, there's volleyball courts, there's pizza places. Uh, there was, um, uh, green bean, like it was a nice base. And we had a lot of time off because like I said, we didn't have to pull tower guard. It was, we do an operation and then maybe we do another operation back to back. But then there were times where it's like, hey, they don't need us for like a week or two. Mm. So we did whatever we wanted. Um, so we had vehicles like we, we had this Tacoma that um, the ODA guys took from um, ISIS-K. It, it was this fucked up Tacoma. And they gave it to us. They're like, here, you guys can drive around with this. So we would go off of the base to like the local markets in this little Tacoma. And there was this guy, Jaweed. He would, he would bring it there. The Afghan people are very, very nice. Um, he would bring us in. We'd have some like saffron tea. He'd give us some like chocolate. And then um, we'd be like, Hey, uh, like at the mattresses we had were really uncomfortable. So one of the friends were like, Hey, can you get mattresses? He was like, and anything you asked him for, he could get it. He'd be like, give me, <laughs> give me a couple days. Um, and the price would always, I mean, I'm sure everybody has this experience if they talked with like the locals and we're trying to buy something, every single price is like negotiable on everything. And sure. it's always like, okay, you get the best friend, super discount. 
And then it's like, no, I'm not going to do that, dude. I'll give you like 30 bucks. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> so like mattresses, a volleyball, literally anything. We could, we could have said anything in the world. We could have said like Doritos Cool Ranch chips. And he's right. like, okay, okay, give me a couple days. And I don't know how the fuck he would get it. Um, but you know, he he was like, he would get you anything that you needed. And he got us a volleyball. Um, we played so much volleyball and part of, um, at the end of it, we cut up the volleyball and everybody that played got like a little sliver of it. It was cool. It was cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. How many, how many guys were in your unit? Um, so the way that it worked, my whole company deployed, Um, but we were all spread out, um, within each platoon to a different ODA team. So Hmm. we were attached to an ODA team on one base. Then another platoon was attached to a different ODA team on a different base. And then another platoon was attached to an ODA on a different team. So, um, it was just a platoon. I think, I don't remember, uh, maybe like 30 people. I don't remember exactly. Sure. Give or take. Yeah, I remember as a kid, that's one thing, because I was all into, like, the numbers and the, you know, all the data, and uh, I could never understand why no one could give a hard number, like, what is a platoon size? How many people in a squad, you know? How many people in a company? It's like, why isn't there a number? It's like, no, it fluctuates. It, it's not yeah. always the same. Well, there's <laughs> ideal numbers, and then there's, like, actual numbers. Like, ideally, right. in a squad, you'll have, you know, about 10 people but, or maybe a little more, maybe more like 12, but what ends up happening is sometimes you have seven man squads, nine man squads. Sometimes in a platoon, you have like 20 people. Sometimes you have 40. Um, mm, you know, it just right. depends on how many people are able-bodied and actually there. Yeah. What, um, what were some of the differences between aside from uh, combat, more maybe just the, like the uh, organization and, and what you were doing, what were some of the differences between Afghanistan and uh, Ukraine? And um, <clears throat> I forget your other, the other deployment you mentioned. Um, I mean, Estonia. the mission was completely different. Um, yeah. Sure. <clears throat> in Ukraine, our job was to train the Ukraine national guard to fight Russia um, and I was just a private, I was mm, 17, okay. 18 years old. So I didn't really, I didn't really play a part in doing the actual training. My job was to train with them, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> cause I was gotcha. young. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I thought <laughs> I did. I was super confident, you know, cause that's a good thing that the army does. It installs confidence into young men, things that they have no business being really confident in. Um, hmm. but yeah, my job was essentially, like the overall mission was to train the Ukraine National Guard. What actually ended up happening was the Ukrainian National Guard would teach us about Russia. Um, and I mean, we would cross train. It was more of a it was more of a give and take versus just like a pure give. We learned sure. a lot from them. I'm sure they learned a lot from us. We made friends. We did stuff together. Um, me as a private, I was training with the Ukrainians, so. Um, while it was like, we set up stations, you know, for them to rotate to, Mm -hmm. 
we were, you know, if you were an American soldier, you were like the assistant instructor. I was a fucking private. Like it was like, <laughs> yeah, you're the assistant, but you're also the bitch boy doing the work with them. Right. Um, so we would do stuff like that. And we were expected to be an example to them. So uh, you have, you know, fresh face. Can I say retarded on the show? Oh, yeah, sure. Fresh yeah. face retarded. Little private. Especially since it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> You know, just walking around, supposed to be this example to Ukrainians. And I took it very seriously. Um, you know, these were grown-ass men. They were like 30 years old in the Ukrainian military. And I'm like, right. I'm an example to them. Just because I'm like an American. Like, it was dumb. But, <laughs> you know, when you look at that mission versus, you know, Afghanistan, where you're uplift for ODA, you know, the, the differences are, it's a completely different mission. You know, one is you're... A, supposed to be helping and assisting and you're actually going out and doing you know what you think you're gonna do when you enlist versus i didn't even when i when i joined i didn't even think like we were out training other militaries that was there was no something that never crossed my mind and that was the first thing i did right uh, so hmm. yeah i mean both are really valuable um i got to see different parts of the world i got to see how different cultures interact um it was, it was, it was good. Um, you know, hmm. you get to, upon reflection, you know, you really get to see what you enjoyed and what you did. And don't get me wrong. There was a, a lot of things like you don't enjoy. Like it's not always fun. Right. Right. But I think when people look back, they tend to look back fondly on the good things and disregard a lot of the shitty things. Yeah, yeah, that's, in general, I think that's true, too. Like, uh, memories are more enjoyable if they're good ones. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but I yeah. could sit here and just bitch about the military all day, and there's plenty to bitch about. But there is, you know, some good memories that I have. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend anybody do it, but um, I can look back and be like, yeah, there were good moments in the last like eight years of my life. I'd be lying if I said like it was all bad because it, it wasn't. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you kind of alluded to it, but one, one question I do try to ask everybody is if a kid 17 or 18 said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to join the military. Um, what kind of advice do you have for me? Um, what would you, what would your advice be? I'd ask them a question because I can sit here and be like, don't do it. I would just ask them like, do you really, no, I wouldn't even phrase it like that because then I'm implementing my bias and I try not to do mm, that. I would right. just be like, hey, do you trust the people in power to make decisions for you and your family? Um, hold on, let me rephrase that. My dogs are going crazy. <laughs> Athena, relax. Hey, fooey that. You're fine. Anyway, for them to relax. Um, can you still hear him in the background? Uh, a little bit, but it, it adds flavor. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, I would just ask him. I'd be like, hey, do you trust the people in power to make decisions for you and your family and to give up power to um, for mm. them to make those decisions for you and your family and for them to act in your best interest all the time? Um and, you know, be that for whoever's in power, be it a Republican, a Democrat, somebody you really like, somebody you really hate. Um, 
yeah, do you trust those people to make those decisions for you better than you can yourself? Sure. Um, and that's not, you know, in a malicious way where it's like, yeah, you obviously shouldn't trust them. It's more like if you do trust them to do that, then join, you know, you'll probably mm. have a good experience if that's your mindset. Um, sure. If you don't, then I wouldn't. Um, and another, I find that if you have to ask somebody if you should or not, it shouldn't be a decision based on how others feel about it. It should be something you decide entirely on your own, in my sure. opinion, at least. So, yeah, that's what I would have to. I would have to say. I would just ask him that question, and you know, just answer it honestly with yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Not a problem if you do, and uh, not a problem if you don't. Just it's something to consider because you're giving up power to decide where you live to decide how much time you're going to be able to spend outside of work, you're signing away a lot of your rights. And I think if you're doing that, it should be to something that you completely and entirely trust and believe in. Sure. And if you don't, then it's probably not a good job for you. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. You're basically, if you're going to make a decision, do it with knowledge, not just um, on a whim. Yeah, basically. That's, Obviously, um, being older than a teenager, you know, we can look back and say there's a lot of value to getting advice and getting getting feedback from those that know. But uh, uh, a teenager rarely does that, I would think. <laughs> At least, that was my experience. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I knew what I knew what was up. I don't need any advice. <laughs> well, if you know, twenty, I'm mid twenties. I don't even know how old I am. I'm mid twenties. If, if me now were to go back and talk to 17 year old me before he's enlisting and give him advice, 17 year old me would tell me now to go fuck themselves and that they have to learn on their own. A hundred percent. Yeah. So like, you know, I can, people ask me that all the time. They're like, if you could go back with what you know now, would you still do it? And I'm like, probably. Yeah. Because I was a stubborn as fuck, like 17 year old, you know, you could tell me, you could tell me like, Hey, there's like a 90% chance that if you join the military, you're going to die and it's going to be terrible. And I would have been like, fuck you. No, I'm not. I'm going to go do this anyway because I need to experience it for myself. Right, right. So you're saying there's a 10% chance that I'll yeah. live. <laughs> and, you know, when you're young, nobody's going to change your mind with anything. I do find though with like adults now, cause sometimes like, uh, you know, like some adults will be like, hey, like 28 is it too late for me to join? And I'm like, well, and I asked him the same question. Um, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you do, then do it. If you don't, then, uh, then don't, but you know, I don't, I don't want my bias and my feelings to ever influence somebody else's decision. Um, Mm. I just kind of want them to ask themselves the right questions and, However they answer it, I don't judge anybody. Um, yeah, it's just i rather them, you know, ask themselves those questions and me implement my bias towards things. Yeah, yeah, I, li- I like that. I I, uh, I can't necessarily say that I follow that, but I, I agree with the mindset for sure of, of allowing, of providing advice and, and, uh, and knowledge or experience when asked. But other than that, like you say, just letting 
letting them live their own life. I think there's a lot of value in that. I strive toward it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> hey, we're all not perfect. And I see, you know, I, I see the value in somebody being like, fuck, no, you shouldn't join. Like, I get that. If if somebody like close to me, like, let's say my daughter grows up. I mean, she is going to grow up. Let's say in like mm, seven yeah. years, like, dad, should I join the army? I'm going to be like, fuck, no, you shouldn't join the army. Absolutely not. You should not. But if it's somebody I don't know, I'm not going to take my sure. negative experience and tell them what they should and shouldn't do. Um, but if it's like my own family, then absolutely. I'm going to be like, no, you shouldn't fucking join. Um, because yeah. I do have that bias and I know I have that bias and I'm fine with having my bias affect my family because I care more about my family. It's not to say I don't care about other people, but sure. who, who am I as some random person on the internet to tell somebody else what's best for them? Right. You know, I know my family, I know my daughter, and I know what I'm going to tell them. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what's best for other people. Yeah, that I, I like the way you first answered it, and I've heard that a lot. Is I'd, I'd ask them questions, I'd, I'd figure out where they're coming from, because like you say, there's no, there's no boilerplate answer, um, unless it's un, un, unless there's no, you should never do it. Or yes, you should always do it. Other than that, it, there's so many nuances and um, different approaches that you really, and it, it, it's, it's kind of a dumb question a little bit because you do, you kind of have to know who the person is, but in general, I mean, most people have like a general way they would approach it. And there's always a chance some teenagers listening to this and, and uh, is open to advice. <laughs> unlikely but possible well my advice would be just to ask yourself some questions and for you to answer them based off of how you feel and if you're anything like i was as a kid it doesn't matter what anybody tells you you're gonna do whatever you want to do anyway so do whatever you feel is best and if you have to learn um you know by doing it yourself I had to do the same thing. So I get it. Right. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're now, now out of the military. What was the transition like? And, and I know you, you planned ahead quite a bit and maybe not everybody does. What was, what was that like? Um, yeah, I'm retired now. It's pretty nice. Um, my transition it was bittersweet. There were a lot of really annoying, stressful things. Like right now, one of the, I'll give you, you know, uh, an example that's happening as we speak. It's been a couple months. I'm officially retired. I'm on the retirement list hmm. and the army still owes me money for moving and trying to contact these people now that I'm out, like they don't give a shit anymore. Right. So, hey, I filled out all this paperwork. I sent it to you. Why is nobody responding to me and why have I not gotten paid for my, my Diddy move or my P Diddy move? Right. And, um, it's just <laughs> like, that's a frustrating thing, but I had some excellent mentors over the last couple of years and I really tried to apply myself to be valuable to people outside of the army for the last couple of years and COVID was a great mm -hmm. opportunity. Sure. Anybody, 
in the military that wasted their pandemic. I feel fucking really bad for them because I was that was we had so much time off of work. You know, maybe not every job, but we were we were infantry. So like they're like telework and we're like, what the fuck can we do like over the phone? Like we don't have anything to do. We're infantry and we go out, we train or we sit in the cough all day complaining about not being at home. Like there's no job for us to do over the phone. Um, so there were months, I think it was like three or four months where we just weren't allowed to go to work and we mm. didn't have PT because you couldn't PT together. Right. And then they tried to make it so like, oh, you can PT like in uh, teams of two. People are like, why the fuck am I going to do that? You know, like I'll just PT on my own. Um, some did, some didn't. But there was so much, and even before the pandemic, like the two weeks leading up to like when shit got real and people thought that everybody was going to die, they made the mistake of coming to work and they pulled all, uh, I was a, I was a squad leader at the time. They pulled us all in. They're like, Hey, if anybody's like feeling sick, um, just send them home and tell them not to come back. And I'm like, so I, I, I took that and I went to my squad and I'm like, Hey, you guys are all feeling sick, right? Right. They're like, no, I feel fine. And I'm like, no, no, no. You are all like feeling a little sick. Right. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, go home. Keep your phones on. Don't come back until I call you. Right. It was just so much time to do anything. And I did, I did so much, I had so much time off and I'm sitting, I'm sitting at home. I played, no bullshit. I probably played like 10 hours of Warzone a day. And then I also spent 10 hours a day, like grinding on so many different things. I, I tried a semester of college cause it was still being offered online. And I'm like, fuck, I got nothing to do. So sure. I tried a semester of college. I did all types of certifications for coaching soccer. I learned so much about social media and marketing. And then I also, um, found a, a really, really good coaching mentor. Um, and I would meet with him daily online and just video chat and we would ask questions and talk and network. And Hmm. I really applied myself during the, while also playing Warzone for, uh, like 10 hours a day. Um, I really applied myself to becoming valuable outside of the military Hmm. and when you just have months and we were getting paid, I don't know why we got a stimulus check. Like I'm don't get me wrong. I'll take the free money, I guess. But like, I remember thinking, I'm like, why the fuck am I getting a stimulus check? I'm sitting at home still getting paid as if I was working and I haven't done shit. In right. Like right. Months, you know? So it was just, it was such a great time to invest hmm. into yourself. And I know some people did, but I know a lot of people in the military were just like, Oh, dope. I don't have to go to work. I'm going to sit here. And I played video games. Like I said, I'm not exaggerating when I said like 10 hours a day, (laughs) I have something like 152 logged days of playing Warzone. So like they accumulate over 24 hours. I Mm. would drink like two rains a day, play a fuck ton of Warzone, hang out with my wife and then just grind throughout the night. I would stay up until like three or 4 a.m. My sleep schedule was fucked. Um, (laughs) But I invested into my. I had a great pandemic, if I'm being honest. Right, right. I had Sounds a like it. Great pandemic. <laughs> I, had, I was having so much fun playing with buddies from back home, just Warzone all day. 
getting that fucking adrenaline rush. And then I spent so much time investing into myself, even though college was a fucking waste of time, but like the mentorships, the certifications, all of these things provided an invaluable base for me um, in preparing myself to get out because I knew I was getting out. Mm -hmm. My back was already fucked, but it's been fucked for years and I was pushing through it. And that's why I got so hurt that um, they had to retire me. Um, Mm. So I knew my career was coming to an end and it just so happened that the pandemic hit, which elongated it more, but gave me that buffer to really apply and make myself a valuable person. Right. Um, And then the actual out processing process itself. I mean, I had, I can't speak for the traditional way, which is like, you just get out um, and you have to go through all these things. I was, I was med boarded. I was medically retired. So I had people holding my hand the entire time. Um, There are some frustrating Mm. parts where it was like, like waiting to get ratings. Um, where you just don't know when you're going to get out because your ETS becomes um, like it doesn't matter anymore. And I remember sitting there for months. And once you get your ratings, you're out within like a month. So like I'm just constantly prepared to just leave for months. It took like seven or eight months to get my ratings back. And I'm just constantly prepared and, you know, trying to plan that with like my wife who was trying to figure out what she should do. It was like, well, are we going to be here long enough for you to do that or not? And the constant unknown of like when I'm going to leave was probably the most frustrating thing. But once you get past that, um, at least, you know, my, my process, I had really, um, really, a really good Peblo and a really good, um, you know, mentors that prepared me for outside of the, uh, military life and transitioning out that I was, I was ready. It was just the uncertainty and the little frustrations that come with the military, like still not being paid, even though I drove and moved like months ago. Right. Well, and now that you're out of their chain of command, it's like, who are you? (laughs) Yeah. Like, and, and it's not like I can just go into like finance or the gypso office and be like, Hey, like, what do I need to do to get this money? Everything is like email or phone. And they don't give a shit. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, is all this paperwork correct? And then I don't hear from them for a week. And then all I get is a notification that says, nope, you need to redo it. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with it? Like, <laughs> help me. <laughs> uh, but Help me help you. I will make your job easier. <laughs> please. If- and it's to the point where I'm like, hey, guys, like, you can forge my signature on anything that gets me paid at this point. Like, you don't need to ask me on this paperwork. Right. Like, I don't care if you just correct it and fill it in yourself. Like, I'm not saying do it for me. I'll still do it. But, like, if something's wrong, why do I have to wait a week for you to tell me, like, hey, this one line is wrong? And then I do it immediately, then wait another week. Well, actually, now it needs to be like this. And now we need your signature over this correction. I'm like, just fucking sign. I don't care where you sign my name. I don't care. Just sign my name. I want my fucking money for moving. And then that's, that's it. Uh, you know, I'm already on the retirement list. I'm already getting paid for my retirement. I have all my benefits. I'm already going into VA appointment. Like everything else is good, except they still owe me money. And I'm like, <laughs> please give me my final fucking paycheck so I can like be done. Right. Right. You know, that's like a frustrating bit, but like, besides that, I, you know, uh, <clears throat> Um, like, uh, SFL tap 
I think is a waste of fucking time, but I got fast tracked through it because I was so prepared otherwise. And I was like, I already have job offers. I have a resume. I have mentors. I have these skills. I don't need to go through your, uh, your workshops. I don't need to do these courses. Mm. And they were pretty cool about it. They're like, okay, yeah, we'll just sign some of these things and say that you went. And I'm like, dope. Thank you. So, you know, besides just feeling like my time was wasted a lot, especially after, Mm spending so much time during a pandemic and even post pan, you know, like pandemic in the army, just committed to myself and, uh, you know, deliberately spending my time, how I want to spend it. I was just, you know, that's a frustrating thing, having your time wasted and not knowing, you know, when, um, Mm -hmm. they're going to say, okay, you're ready to go. Right. Yeah. You're, uh, hurry up and wait yet again. (laughs) Yeah. Always. You start that way and you leave that way. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned Athena. What about what what about that? What's the uh, for oh, Athena. What's the situation there? Yeah. So I have um, I have a uh, hypervigilance, and I had some really I had seen some really negative things happen with former soldiers who went to like behavior health for like a small problem. Um, sure. I saw like HIPAA violations. Um, I saw them being treated differently and they always say like, no, that won't happen. Military behavior health is your friend. And like, right. You know, I'm sure there's some posts where behavior health is very good and it does what it's actually supposed to, but there's some, where in my experience, they hinder a soldier and exaggerate problems and then make them worse. Mm-hmm. So I spent my own money for like two years and I would drive like an hour and a half away from base to go to counseling because I was afraid of any counselor being connected with the military. Sure. I didn't want TRICARE to pay for it because I didn't want them to know. For you know, For a while, I would drive so far away I would pay in cash. Like I was fucking paranoid. The military would find out I was seeking counseling. Um, Right. Right. You know, I didn't, I didn't want my career ruined because I didn't want my leadership position taken away. I didn't, I didn't want my career to be hindered um, because I had seen it happen. I'd seen the HIPAA violations. Like I talked about, um, yeah, for years I would do that. And then it became, I was doing a EMDR treatment and it became so expensive that finally um, I went to TRICARE and I'm like, Hey, and I, I didn't go to the army. It's like TRICARE and the army. They're a little bit different. Like behavior health in the army on post is different than like your TRICARE stuff. Mm, okay. So I called TRICARE and I'm like, Hey, here's what's been going on. Can you give me a list of providers that are covered by TRICARE? And then I will go to one of them. And do I need to do anything else? They're like, nope. Here's a list of the providers. You can go there. You show your military ID, give them your benefits number, and we'll take care of it. And I'm like, my unit's not going to know. They're like, nope, your unit behavior health is very different. Mm -hmm. So I did that and TRICARE covered it for like six or seven like um, more sessions. And then I get a call from the on-post behavior health. They're like, hey, you need to come in. I'm like, for what? They're like, you need to come in. So I go in and they're like, hey, so you have to be seen here. And I'm like, no, 
I'm not going to be seen here. And they were like, no, but you have to. And I'm like, I don't have to do anything. And they're like, well, we're not going to pay for your, um, your counseling anymore then. And I'm like, I didn't know that you guys were even paying for it. They're like, well, TRICARE covers it, but we have to approve it. And I'm like, okay, well. And then they were like, you need a referral to go off post to you know a provider within TRICARE. And I'm like, well, can I just have that referral? They're like, no, we have to see you. And I'm like, right. you don't have to see me. <laughs> and they lied to me. Um, and I went and I had to get JAG involved. They're like, you can get in trouble for paying for counseling on your own. And I'm like, no, no, I can't. <laughs> um, it was a whole fucking thing. Um, but I had known that I had had hypervigilance for years. Um, it, she, the first counselor that I went to diagnosed me after a couple months. Um, Cause she mm-hmm. was like, Hey, I don't want you to think. Cause that was one of my fears too. Going to, um, on post behavior health, it was like, Hey, I don't want to just go in there and be slapped with PTSD. Cause right. it's, it's a really easy label to put on vets. And it's just kind of like a, like a blanket thing, like, Oh, PTSD, you know, right. I don't want it, that. it comes with all a whole bunch of extra baggage that, or, or, uh, situations that might not apply or probably right. is not. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't want that. I wanted actual treatment for the problem. I didn't just want, hey, here's a label, and then good luck. Like here's broad treatment for something. So that's why mm-hmm. I was doing a post. And after a couple months, she's like, yeah, I'm not going to diagnose you right away. Like we're going to go through some stuff, and then I'll make like an educated diagnosis. And she gave me. She said that I had hypervigilance. I'm like, okay, cool. How do we go about this? And we went about it. Helped a little bit, but um, no. To get back to your original question about Athena. So after the army behavioral health was like, no, you have to be seen by us. I protested that and tried to go to the main behavioral health to get a referral for off post. And they were like, Mm. no, we're not going to give you an off post referral. So I said, okay, fuck it. Then I'm just going to go pay for something that I think is going to help me, um, which was Athena. Um, She's, you know, a working dog. Um, she's trained in all types of stuff, but basically what she does. So, so to explain my hypervid, I'm sure everybody has it way more or way less, or there's different levels or some people have like PTSD and there's like different, different things. But my logic behind getting Athena was like a, an emotional support dog wouldn't work for me um, because I didn't, need like emotional support if that makes sense i needed Mm -hmm. to feel safe um because i wasn't feeling safe in certain places sure and i wanted to feel safe so what would make me feel safe something that's just gonna like give me a hug essentially you know when they can sense that i'm not feeling safe like no that's not gonna help me feel safe i'm gonna feel like that dog is a liability and now i have to protect that dog on top of myself from whatever's happening right right um so I, I searched around a little bit and Pat Watson from Uncensored Tactical recommended Fortress Canine. And I talked and I spoke to Joel over there and he was like, yeah, hypervigilance. Like, and, um, you know, he, he related a little bit in some ways. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put out his business. Um, sure. But basically 
what Athena does. She watches people. Um, she's she's my eyes and ears. It makes me feel safe because she is trained and capable. She does everything that my mind tends to do when I'm out and about in public where I'm like, oh, fuck, like, let me watch that person. Let me look at these people. Let me count how right. many people are in this movie theater. Let me see all the points of entry and points of exit in this uh, restaurant. Let me see where it's. I have the most tactical advantage to get me and my family away in this situation. Like the type of stuff that came with my hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a, a dog now that can watch these people for me that will alert me if she thinks something is, you know, a little, a little sketchy. And then if she alerts me, I can look, make the human assessment, like, no, that's nothing to worry about. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I recognize that 99.9% of the time, like my hypervigilance is irrational. Like I logically recognize that I'm like, Hey, I'm at a fucking wedding for like my wife's friend. Some fucking terrorist isn't going to come in here with a machine gun and start murdering everybody. Like I know that logically I know that, but Right. That heightened, um, that heightened um, emotional response and that vigilance doesn't know that. So uh, my logic was, I need a dog, or you know anything. My, I, I immediately went to dog. I'm like, I need a dog that's trained to watch people, mm-hmm. to recognize you know weird behaviors, and one that I know I can deploy to protect me or to eliminate a threat or to protect my family. So right. I can focus on being present with my wife or my family in general. Yeah. Well, that's what Athena does. Um, she's very, very good at her job. I love the shit out of her. Um, raised some money for, her, um, spent out of pocket a little bit too. Went down to Florida to Fortress Canine, did a handler course. Um, it was great. I learned a lot. I fucked up a lot. Um, yeah, no, she's been a she's been a life changer for me. I'm very grateful to have her. Would you say your relationship with her is more of a parent with a child, or a a boss with a a uh, co lower coworker or not? Um, <clears throat> um, does that make sense? Um, not a, I can't even say the right words right now. But <laughs> you know, think of I think of her like my best friend who doubles as like a security guard, if that makes sense. Mm, like, okay, she, sure. She like, she's a regular dog. Like we do regular dog stuff all the time. She hangs out, she gets treats, we play. Right. But then there's times where she knows she has to work um, and she works and she knows that her job is to protect me, protect my family. And she loves to do it. She's happy to do it. Um, and you know, like I said, Hmm. most of the time we're just playing, we're having fun. You know, we go out, play ball, she'll play catch. She has a good time, play treats, you know, (laughs) we give her treats. Uh, but then there's times like, let's say, um, we go to the park, like me and my wife and my daughter go to the park. Um, she'll sit and she will watch my daughter or she'll watch me with my daughter or she'll just you know, be looking around. She's like, okay, is anybody sus? And then she'll let me know if there is. And like I said, I understand 99.9%. It's very rational to have that, but I would have that very often feeling where I couldn't be present with my family yeah. while I was out in public. And she gives that back to me because she is watching and, and 
you know, paying attention to those things and I trust her. Um, so I'm able to go and just play with my daughter um, and have a good time. So, yeah, you know, I, I recognize it's very rational and I recognize that, you know, some door kickers from like 2004 have way more fucked up issues than me, but I wanted to make an active change in my life for the better for my family. And, uh, you know, she does it for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's awesome. And it, it makes sense, you know, cause like you're saying without her, you're, um, you almost feel like you're on, on like a security detail for somebody or something. You can't, um, you're not going to interact with your family. You're concerned about security kind of like secret yeah. service for the president or something. They're not, <laughs> they're not talking about the football score with the president. They've, they've got their minds on other stuff. Yeah. It's very irrational. And I completely recognize that. Um, one thing I have been working on for myself is being able to go out in public without her. Um, so I'm actively trying to make, so I don't have this dependence on her and some days are better than others. Um, but for the most part, it's really just, uh, you know, I get to now go out. I can go to a park with my wife and daughter and I don't have to constantly have this irrational thought process that somebody's going to come along and shoot everybody at the park because if that were to happen, Athena is going to recognize it, notify me, and then I get to send her to go fuck somebody up who's about to kill a bunch of kids, you know? like Right. I don't have to constantly think, okay, how am I going to get my family out of here? How am I going to eliminate the threat? How am I going to get away from the threat? Or, you know, all of these other things because I have her. Um, and yeah. she, she's the eyes and ears for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, uh, yeah. I think um, civilians often don't. I think it's important to acknowledge the cost of something before you purchase it to the extent. And in this application, it's important to know it's, it's not like the movies. You can't just have a military and send guys over and fight and be like, Hey, hurrah, you're, you're a hero. <clears throat> There's costs involved. And that doesn't mean necessarily that the cost is not worth it. But if you don't, if you don't aren't aware of or don't acknowledge the cost, um, then you're more likely to make a foolish decision or an unwise decision. So I think you, you being willing to talk about it, which I, I understand a lot of people don't want to talk about um, the effect that it had on them, but being willing to talk about it lets people know, you know, this is, this is a cost. Maybe, may, again, it doesn't necessarily offset the need um, or the value of the expenditure, but, but to not be, to not acknowledge it would be unwise, I think. Well, and, you know, with that stuff too, for a long time, I was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to really, to this day, I don't really know how to put it into words, but for the longest time, it was like, Hey, like stop being a fucking pussy. You barely did anything. Like you went over there and like your, and, and like I said earlier, and I, and I can truly look back on it now and be like, I didn't do as much shit as I really thought I did. 
you know, like in the, in the, in the moment you right. look back and you, you really want to have been that guy that was in the shit and you really want to have been this guy who was kicking in fucking doors and shooting motherfuckers in the face. Like you think you want that. Um, and you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't doing that intense stuff because there just wasn't that intense stuff to do. And mm-hmm. I'm very grateful that I didn't because I was fucking scared and, you know, I have, you know, hypervigilance as a result of, you know, doing like the bare minimum that would qualify as that. Right. So for a while I was like, stopping a fucking, you barely did shit. This isn't justifiable, but it was still like it existed. And I'm like, man, like this shit shouldn't exist for you. Like you're being a bitch compared to like these other people. And, you know, even, even to this day, I can still recognize, Hey, like maybe I am a little bit, um, weaker than some, you know, other people who, uh, you know, for take like a fucking former ODA guy that did 25 years and like retired and made it out alive, but probably smoked a ton of dudes, lost a ton of friends. Like they would have more justification for, Mm -hmm you know, having a dog like I do than I do. And like, I can recognize that now. And, and, uh, you know, I completely understand that, that line of thinking, but I'm also like, Hey, like I've accepted it within myself that like, Hey, maybe I am just emotionally weaker. Um, but that's okay. You know, because I'm going Mm. to take care of myself and my family. Um, and I think there's a, there's a, there's a mindset with individuals to where, they don't seek out help and they don't try and solve these types of problems because they feel similarly, similarly to how I did where it's like, Hey, like I barely did shit. And I'm feeling like this, who the fuck am I to use these resources when other people have gone through so much worse shit than me, you know? Right. And, uh, I think it just turns into like the suffering Olympics where it's like, I'm not suffering as much as somebody else. So, I don't need, I don't need to go seek help. Um, you know, and there are different levels of trauma and there's different levels of, you know, a PTSD or hypervigilance or different levels of like, you know, experiences. And it's hard and easy. Well, it's it's hard. It's easy to look on the outside and be like, you have two soldiers, former ODA guy, 25 years, smoked a bunch of dudes, lost a ton of friends. Mm hmm soldier who deployed with ODA once was like support by fire did like the least intensive, like quote unquote combat operations that like you could, if you were to look at them be like, who's more justified in feeling a certain way, you're like the fucking ODA guy. Then they're like, right. Sure. Like I get that. And I understand that. But, um, no, I think it's okay to seek help. And I think, it's okay for me to be like, yeah, you know, like maybe I am just emotionally weaker than these people, or maybe they have problems and they don't talk about it as much, or maybe they don't have problems at all. You know, like everybody's different. Maybe some people go through this shit and they don't have any problems at all. Maybe some people can go through even less than what I did and have way more problems than somebody who went through a ton more. Like it's, it's, you know, and I don't think there's any problem with saying like, we're different. You know, people are different. People have different weaknesses. Some things affect more people than others. Um, I think it's easy to look down upon people and be like, you, you stop being a pussy, especially when you do it to yourself. Um, but yeah, no, I recognized I needed help. I needed this dog. 
Um, I needed something at the time. I didn't know for sure if like a dog would help, but my logic brain was like, no, this, this is exactly what would help you. Hmm. Um, somebody to be your eyes and ears or, you know, like a dog to be your eyes and ears because you are constantly on alert. So get a dog whose job it is to be alert for you and to take that pressure off of you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's what I did and it worked for me. And, um, you know, like I said, I can recognize that my trauma isn't as justified as like that 25 year ODA guy who kicked indoors, but I'm not here to play suffering Olympics. I'm here to just, if you're having trouble, it doesn't matter what level you were, what you did, what you didn't do. If you're having trouble, just go get help. Yeah. Yeah. If, if somebody looks at your situation and says, well, in, even in their mind is like, well, there's somebody that deserves this more than you, you know, that's not their beeswax. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, but even I can look at that and be like, yeah, somebody probably does deserve this more than I do, but I'm still the one that went out and I'm going to do what's best for me and my family. And I don't think anybody can judge me for that. They could judge me if I did what I think a lot of people do, where they exaggerate what they did to justify to other people why they need help. That's a problem. You know, mm-hmm. where people feel like, hey, I'm not justified in getting this help. So now I have to exaggerate all these experiences to justify why I need this help. And that's trauma in and of itself. Um, I don't think you have to do that. Yeah, it's, it's it's better to just be honest with yourself that the the mindset that somebody doesn't deserve it, people don't apply that to uh, their decisions purchasing a car or a shirt. You know, they don't say, well, somebody else probably deserves this car more than I do, um, so I won't buy it. You know, yeah. they're, they're not going to apply that logic to anything else in their life. So if they're applying it to um, someone's trauma or someone's need for for assistance. It's like, dude, just get over yourself. Yeah. Like be able to admit that you probably aren't the most mentally resilient person in the world. Like, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's like you're okay with admitting that to yourself. And then once you can get over that pride of being like, I'm supposed to be this most resilient person in the world. And I didn't experience that much. So I'm like a bitch. If I recognize this trauma, just recognize the fucking trauma and be like, Hey, maybe I am weak in this area. Let me strengthen myself in this area. So I'm not weak or let me get something to assist myself. Right. I got my dog. Some people might need a dog. Some people might not. Some people might need counseling. Some people might not. Um, we shouldn't be playing the suffering Olympics when it comes to that. And we shouldn't, you know, be exaggerating things to justify that to ourselves or justify it to other people. Hmm. Yeah. I can't really think of a good segue. So we're just going to jump right into uh, what, <laughs> what about your podcast? What about it? You, how would you pitch it to the listener? P- part of, part of what, I, why I did this is I want to give, uh, and this, this is going to sound very pretentious. I realize, but, um, to the extent that I'm able, I want to give, um, vets a platform to just say, say what they want, what they need to say, and then promote what they have. And obviously let's, uh, let's be honest. Your platform is, is, uh, size more sizable than mine, but, um, to, to whatever extent, if, let me go this way. If the listener enjoys, if the listener enjoys hearing you, um, where would they go to hear more of you? Um, 
Uh, yeah, you could find me at Seaburn Art. Um, I run a, a page with uh, a really great illustrator and good friend of mine, uh, Nathan. Um, we have our own podcast, the Art and War podcast. We talk to different people about different things. Um, we talk about pretty much everything. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, I'm, I'm uh, multiple months behind, but it, so it's kind of embarrassing or not embarrassing. It's interesting. I'll, uh, for example, I'll just talk to some interview, some person, and then a couple weeks later, I listen to your episode and you interviewed a, a similar person or the same person. And it's like, what am I doing here? <laughs> this, this looks ridiculous, but what looks but, ridiculous? Uh, yeah. I, I look ridiculous. No, just it, um, the, I, I was, my show was influenced to a good extent. The flow of it was influenced to a good extent by, by yours. So for whatever it's worth, uh, to the listener, I think they'll, uh, if, if they enjoy hearing about all kinds of weird topics, um, <laughs> and can handle some anime conversation, um, then, then they'll enjoy your show. I appreciate that, man. You got, you you got your own show, your own voice, your own, your own flow. Um, right. You know, it's humbling to hear that we do um, have some, you know, maybe influence on how people do it. If I could, I'll talk about uh, Pat Watson influences what, um, how I go mm. about interviewing people myself. Sure. Um, I don't think size on a platform really necessarily matters. I mean, he, he fucking kills it. He's a great, um, he was in the Coast Guard. He's a veteran too. You talked to him, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Great guy. Um I go to him um, and I listen to how he talks and interacts with people. And I'm not nearly as good at being structured as he is, but I try and take little things from um, people that I enjoy and kind of apply it to myself. So in a way um, I have to credit him more with how mm -hmm. the, flow of the show goes than anybody else. At least, at least my episodes, um, Nathan, I love him to death. He has his own flow. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't, I don't think I've caught up even to the point where, uh, where there's any of his solo, solo episodes. I think he fucking crushed it. I'm way behind. I'm way behind. Yeah, no, he, he crushed it when I took my little break. He, um, he did some solo episodes and they're not my style in terms of like flow, but hmm. he has his own voice and his own style and he fucking crushes it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's uh, it I, I like that how you're saying everybody has their own their own style and it's it uh, which is valuable especially when you're dealing with a format that's all audio. Or or, well, I mean podcasts are, but you can have other aspects like a YouTube video or whatever. But when it's all audio, it's easy to think that it's all going to be the same. But everybody everybody has a different flavor, a different way of doing things. Um, but there's similarities. So I think that's good to acknowledge. Yeah. You got to be unique and find your own voice. Um, you know, as I said, I, I try and learn as much as I can from Pat. He's become a good friend of mine. Now we talk regularly, which is crazy to me. Um, you know, that I get to talk to these people, um, that I look up to like, like Pat. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, you try and learn what you can from other people. See what works for you, what works for doesn't. If you can create your own unique voice out of that, then uh, 
you're fucking doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'll say this. I, I try to make every show about the guests, but since you brought it up, I will say Pat is uh, probably the coolest person I've met. So <laughs> there, there's so that. Cool. He, he's pretty <laughs> awesome. Can we? I'll, I'll just instead of talking about me and what I got going on, let's talk about Pat. He's got some great books. Um, Fuck bureaucracy, great book. Uh, he has a lock picking book. He runs courses on lock picking. He's not a shitty instructor who is like, I'm former military. I know everything. He's a very interactive instructor. He trains right. dogs now. He works with Fortress Canine. Pat Watson's awesome. You should check out Pat Watson over me. So many times I have a thought that I just can't phrase, but yes, I, I like that. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there. Pat's great. Yeah. Any Anything anything we missed or anything you want to bring up or or just – ramble about i mean it, it's the flow is the flow is entirely yours i just ask questions when uh when i think of a dumb one so oh i mean if you got more questions i'm happy to answer i still got i got like 20 30 minutes before i gotta go but um no if not then i'm good i'm good okay yeah I, um I, I i really enjoyed it for sure it's like i say i'm always blown away when someone says yeah i'll come on i i think it's uh I really appreciate it. Quite, quite honestly, I could, I could uh, just record and never edit or release, and I'd be just as happy <laughs> as, uh, as, as anything else. It's, I, I enjoy it. It's just fun to talk. I feel, I feel the same way. I don't really. I don't know. Maybe I'll sound like a douche if I say this. I don't really say yes to going on podcasts too much, but I. Mm. I don't know. I remember you reached out months and months ago, but I was in the army and I'm like, no, not yet. But no, you, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be on here. I think it's, I think it's great to talk about this stuff. Um, you know, especially the mental health thing, you know, I think it's really kind of like a generic thing, like get help, oh, go out, get help type thing. And I hear a lot of vets are like, no, it doesn't matter. Go get help. Um, and it feels maybe like corny, kind of like reinforcing that message, but I do think, uh, you know, I don't say it as like, oh my God, I'm, you know, like it's really important you go get help. It's more just take control of your own life. And uh, if you can get help, then get help. If you don't think that you need it and you can do it on your own, then do it on your own. Um, hmm. More of a lighthearted message that I uh, think is important to talk about. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I... I, I had a great time. I don't really, like I said, I don't really come on podcasts too much besides, besides my own, but um, I do think it's important to talk about this stuff and I'm happy that you're giving this platform to other vets to talk about, you know, their experience and what they have. I think it's a great resource for people to um, tune into, to get that type of perspective, get many different types of perspectives. Um, I think that's very, very important. Yeah. That's kind of my goal is to give a broad broad spectrum um which i haven't quite achieved i'm, I'm working on it but it, it's uh yeah part of it is just who who will say yes you know to, i uh some people say no and a, there's a lot of like you mentioned months ago there's tons of people that it's like a three four month cycle between contacting them and and finally scheduling something it's just it is what it is you know people are busy and this is a it's a hobby for me and it's it's a less than a hobby for 
for everybody else. So it's it's definitely um, the priority is is not a not an issue for sure. But yeah, that, that you reminded me of one thing you you did mention originally. I contacted you and know, I was like, "You want to come on?" And you said, "Not till I get out." What what was the what was the reason behind that kind of? Um. You know, when you're in the military, you're held to a certain standard and you hold yourself to a certain standard. When I, you know, without getting too deep into it, unless you, unless you wanted to, a couple of years ago, I had a real big, um, change in my morals with how I viewed war, how I viewed the military in general. And just because I had those change of morals in my personal life, I owed it to my soldiers to not let that bleed into my job and my work. And I always wanted to do what's best by them. And I always wanted to perform my job to the best of my ability without letting my personal feelings or beliefs get in the way of that because I owed it to them. Um, and while I was in, I didn't want to come on a, on a podcast and talk about any negative feelings that I have towards it or any negative bias that I have towards it just because it would be, it could, you know, potentially affect, you know, the job and the profession. And I signed a contract. Nobody forced me to. I've reenlisted a couple times. Nobody forced me to. Mm-hmm. So for me to let that type of, um, you know, beliefs that I have affect, um, you know, something that I signed my name on by my own, you know, my own will would just seem... I don't know. I don't know what the right word is, but it would—it just wouldn't seem right. Yeah, a little so, disingenuous or, yeah. or uh, underhanded, maybe. Exactly. So yeah. no, I, I feel like that. I owed it. Yeah, I owed it to myself. I owed it to the organization I signed the contract for, and most importantly, I owed it to my soldiers to never ever let my personal beliefs or my morals, um, as they evolved, um, affect the way that I do my job and affect how I treated them or just the position in general. So I wanted to wait until I got out before I really talked about that stuff. If, if any, cause I didn't know exactly what was going to be brought up, but if any topics were brought up where it could, you know, potentially make it look bad while I am serving as that. Sure. Yeah, um, no, that makes sense. So that was, that was really it. Just a moral change, beliefs change. And I didn't want that to influence um, anybody while I was in. Hmm. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was it was worth the, uh, like you say, honest, like the whole scheduling issue is not an issue at all. It's, it's, uh, I've got so many guys queued up and just waiting and trying to work out a time and everything. And I had to take a big break just because I ran out of guests. Um, so I'm kind of getting a, a backlog right now so I can, I think I'm going to switch to an every other week release just because life is catching up with, with, uh, the, the scarcity of guests. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it, it's evolving. It'll work out. But No, I, I definitely see why, like we talked about earlier, not every vet wants to come and talk about stuff and that's okay. Um, 
and I'm always hesitant to talk to or give a platform myself to people who are really, really, really eager and persistent about coming on just because I feel like then it's kind of like disingenuous. You just want to use the platform and use the name. But I, you know, I, I, I do appreciate being allowed to have that platform and to talk about things that I think are, you know, important and just kind of give some insight and backstory without trying to influence too many people to make a decision any way or another. Yeah, I appreciate that that mindset and that approach too. It's uh, it's good to have. I I've uh, I've kind of through the last several multiple years shifted uh, philosophically more toward volunteerism and just um, or or as Michael Malice says for anarchy, uh, you do not speak for me. And to the extent that that's true, which I, I agree with that. That also means I don't speak for somebody else. So I have to be willing, like you're saying, to make people make their own decisions. Yeah. And not not step in their way. Yeah, I, I, I understand. There's you know, I, I switched morale morals and I'm you know, I'm kind of a pacifist now. I'm kind of a kind of a hippie. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. uh you know, things change, people change and as we evolve, sometimes we go in directions um you know, that lesser people go, or sometimes we go in a direction that more people go. And I don't think it's my place to tell anybody how to live their life. And similarly to you, I think volunteerism is important. I think nobody should make decisions for anybody. You should own yourself and you should ultimately be the one that has the most say in how you live your life. Um, like I said, that's hard to that's hard to say when you're in the military because you don't really own yourself and you don't really own your right. life. And uh, I don't, I don't ever... You know, like I said, I, I never wanted to go to work and be like, no, nah, fuck this shit. You guys own yourselves. You don't have to listen to anything that the fucking military said, because that's not that's not the right answer either. Um, right. But, uh, you know, I'm. Moral, morals change, beliefs change, and I'm accepted that I'm kind of just a fucking hippie now. Thank you for listening to this episode of How I Embraced the South. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And as my Girl Scout den mother used to say, stay frosty.